word why. What a curious word. The kind of word that can make us cringe, feel defensive, or even distant. But you know, sometimes why is the key. A key that can unlock so much to our lives. Join me as we explore the why with fascinating contributors to the world. Those that entertain us, inform us, teach us about life, and if we're lucky, inspire the next in all of us. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger, and welcome to Headroom, a production of Rainlight and co-produced by Old Soul. Let's go. All right, I'm going to enjoy this conversation. I don't, well, I've been traveling more, so I shouldn't say that, but I've been doing quite a bit of traveling and meeting some really interesting people out, uh, out there, not just here in the U.S., but abroad. And I say abroad as Canada. Uh, Brad is just, <laughs> just north of the border here. Uh, Brad Wood, yeah, he's the founder and CEO of the No Sugar Company. And look, we, we got to spend some time. I saw the, um, the, the launch, the release party, and the collaboration with Vanilla Ice. And I want to start with this. Uh, and I was talking with your, your wife, Mel, at the event, uh, just saying how proud she must be, right? Sort of after the whole, you know, you did your, you, you did your, did the song and Joy Burst and all these things. And she was just beaming. And I just want to start there as an entrepreneur. And we're going to work backwards. I want to talk about Jack. I want to talk about sort of, you know, how you got started. But tell me now, a couple of weeks out, as you reflect on this idea that you had earlier in the year to integrate in a song with a product launch, Tell me kind of, give me your after action report, like just an, on the success of it. How do you feel today knowing what you know now because you completed it? You know, it's funny enough, since the party has uh, ended, it has actually been nonstop uh, with, uh, I, you know, I collaborate with another artist, I've done, you know, radio interviews, I've done things that, you know, I never thought were actually possible. So as I reflect back on this, I say to myself a lot of times, like, wow, I can't believe that just happened. Like, it seems surreal to me. Like, it's it's a world that I certainly did not live in or do live in. I think that the party went off or the event went off really well. Uh, it was really important, obviously, to have my family and my friends there. That's why I chose Toronto. Um, but as I reflect back on it, I just, you know, it just brings a smile to my face because what a kind of out of body experience that it was. I mean, you were there, you saw it. I feel like for that moment in time, uh, I, I turned into as best I could an artist. And I was on stage with one of the top artists, you know, known around the world. And I felt like, you know, I felt like I was comfortable. So it was, a, it was, a, it was an amazing experience. Um, you kind of get an itch to do it again. We actually may be doing it again. <laughs> I, I thought so, maybe that would be the case. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, you know, it's, I'm family for uh, first and foremost all the time. And my family was very proud and excited and, and yeah, it couldn't have gone, it couldn't have gone any better to be honest with you. So I'm going to make a wild guess that you've learned something pretty significant through this experience in the last couple of weeks. And I've been seeing you on Instagram. There's a lot been going on for you and the company. What have you learned about yourself and being an entrepreneur? Because you've not, you, you, I never got the sense from you and spending time with you that you shied away from risk uh, or challenge. It's something that you've embraced and you've done it since you were uh, a young boy. Mm -hmm. what, if, what do you think you're taking from this that you will apply to sort of the next negotiation round, uh, you know, the next sort of boardroom experience that you have? I feel like you're, you're not one that's going to leave this to the side and just say, well, that was a really cool experience and let's just kind of move on. I would think that you're going to catalog this internally and do something with it. Uh, no, absolutely. I feel like, 
you know, I, I spoke with you briefly that when I turned 40, I had some kind of, you know, mental health issues that's creeped up on me for the first time ever really in my life. And it took, you know, a solid two years to get out of that kind of state. And I, to some degree, I feel like I almost came out of it fearless. Like a lot of the things that I've ever had fear towards, I became fearless. So this kind of event was so kind of out of the ordinary for me, but on that same token, like I, you know, I hired a vocal coach. I hired a um, uh, a dance coach. I I gave my best opera, like I gave my best to that craft in the time frame that I have. So what I'm going to take out of it is, you know, the cliche is anything is possible, but you truly do have to put the work into it, and you actually have to, you know, have the belief that you can. So as I go off to do this thing for No Sugar, and as well for Joyverse in the natural energy space, I don't look at it as wow, there's like you know, Red Bulls and Monster that owns, you know, you know, 90% of this category. And it's not possible for a company from Canada that just like, I don't look at it that way. I look at it as, you know, I really can do whatever, you know, do whatever what I want. I can think differently. I can make strategic moves that are that are that are out of the box. And from what we just saw, you know, it's pulled off. Like we literally have more retailers, more people asking us about the success and can you even translate this into the no sugar company and the answer is yes so we're going to make it bigger and broader and and more exciting but yeah there, what i came out of it was that really that you know as an entrepreneur you don't have to be boxed into just being like this corporate you know maneuvering you know uh wearing a suit and jacket and like sitting in the boardroom you can really extend well beyond the boardroom and do things that are you know out of the box and fun Speaking of entrepreneurs, I think what's interesting, at least in my experience of entrepreneurs and one-on-one, -on -one, is this notion of the goalpost moving with every success that's accomplished and trying to gain an understanding or respect for having goals and objectives as you have or you experience success. You talked about, and I'm, I think that's really wonderful for people to hear because I think it's, it's you're not alone in this and the mental health challenges and the things, I mean, life is crazy and as busy as it is for so many people around the world. How do you understand success when you think about sort of the next goal, setting the new, the next horizon line for you and your company? Because I always find that really compelling for people who have achieved some level of success to understand it, celebrate it or struggle celebrating it, and then moving on to the next without feeling like you have to live on the legacy of the past. Yeah. So, I mean, like you, as you met with my, with Mel, I started off by, I wrote a book and a book launched in October of last year. And that at that time was like, you're writing a book, like you can't even spell. Are you actually writing a book? Like, how's that <laughs> happening? And then it went on from there to a Super Bowl commercial. And we launched a national Super Bowl commercial across Canada. And that same advertisement and now is, is, is being played throughout the US. And we have plans for this upcoming, you know, Super Bowl. So that, that was a big event. And then it went to this next big event, which obviously was this, you know, Vanilla Ice partnership and not only the song, but like actually a live um, a live video. So I have always had, uh, I've always been goal driven. I try to set goals that I almost think that are unachievable, uh, and continue to go after them. I said this to Jessica, who's, you know, on, on our PR team. And I said, look, I literally want to have a chance of trying to get the number one song, uh, in the world. I want to have a number one movie. I want to have a one, number one retail show. And I want to have, um, uh, I want to have the, one of the top selling or top grossing companies in the world. And I think that if you put those four things uh, in front of you, 
And you, it's like, I don't expect any of these to come quickly. All of them are building blocks to getting and achieving that goal. You can't just launch one song and think it's just going to hit fire. And then that, like, you have to work at your craft. So each of those ones, I have plans in place to try to achieve them and they're building blocks. But that kind of is like a, you know, it's like a, a they say a triple threat in basketball, but that's like a quadruple threat of those four things of a reality show, movie, song, and a business and if I keep trying to chase those, I think I got a lot of goals ahead of me that uh, will take up a lot of mental space to try to achieve. I would say so. So do you look at uh, challenges or past things that didn't work out as failure? Or do you look at things as obstacles and opportunities? How have you understood that? Because it, nobody's batting a thousand, right? So there are times where we we all struggle or we find that, man, that, that guess was wrong. That was user yeah. error on our part. There is there in my view, and I've been like this way well before financial success, well before there is there's two things. You're either winning or you're learning. That's it. There's no such thing as there is absolutely no such thing as failure. Every failure. And I believe that failure is healthy and people need to embrace failure because you actually learn more in a failed opportunity than you do in a, in a successful opportunity. So I truly believe that it's painful. There's no guarantees. Uh, it's easier to say, oh, failure is acceptable when you're doing things now that are regarded as successful. But even when I was, you know, in my 20s, I still looked at every door that was slammed on me, every no, every crazy look. You know, even when I talk to some of my teams, like, here's my four goals. They look at me sideways, despite any success I've had. It's still ultimately you have to accept the failures and know that's part of the journey. And to me, what I've also come to realize is the journey of chasing these things is the actual fun part. The actual achievement itself, which lasts a split second, is great, but it almost sets you up as an anticlimactic situation where it's like you have all this buildup and then it's like, it's almost like Christmas, like it's then the day's over. So I've always, I try to change my switch that says the actual event is the cherry on top, but the actual thing that I want to accomplish is doing well and enjoying the journey. What was harder growing up through through your professional uh, journey and path, understanding this part of what you're talking about or the mechanics of being an entrepreneur? Because sometimes I think people are better on either side of the fence. Where do you think you have been? Did you did you just have a natural ability sort of when you were in your 20s in building business and understanding balance sheets like you could just you were sort of a walking MBA in that regard? Or was that an area you really had to to get strong? Uh in? Yeah, I, I'm, I think I'm pretty untraditional in the whole entrepreneur situation that I don't view NBAs as necessarily or the balance sheet or all those things. As, at the end of the day, it, to a certain degree, it's, it's persistency. It's uh, never give up. It's the standard cliches, but really put into action. And it's not put into action for a week or a month or a year. It's multiple years. And if you're able to achieve those things and break through and realize that like in your third year, when you're not even... Uh, getting paid to work. You're actually paying to work because you're taking your savings and you're putting that into a business with nothing, no guarantee it's coming back. You're paying to work. And you realize that that process that's so painful is actually continuing day by day to eliminate your competition who just can't take it anymore. That is actually a part of the process that you have to embrace and say, if it's hard for me, 
like the person beside me or the person in California, the person we're in other countries competing against, it's hard for them too. We're all in this, like, like they're all in this together. They all started somewhere. Every company started from the same grassroots experience. So you in kind of, if you can embrace that, I think that you really look at it as you're actually, it's a weedy out process. It's a survival of the fittest to a certain extent. And you got to be able to take risk and you got to be able to stomach that. And if you can do those things, no MBA, no educational course is ever going to teach you for what that is. There's some basics that you obviously need to know, but a lot of those things that you need to know, you know, some of the most successful entrepreneurs don't even have a college degree. It's just something that they've, uh, they've taught themselves. They've taught their own MBA. Headroom is produced by Old Soul, a one-stop marketing agency that understands the power of brand and nuance. Reach out to my guy, Matt at Old Soul and supercharge your brand and content strategy. That's Old Soul. Shoot Matt a note at aoldsoul.com. That's A-O-L-D-S-O-U-L.com. And now back to our guest. So a lot of people will say that an entrepreneur is not actually an entrepreneur until they've put their own money in, right? Until they've uh -huh. got their own skin in the game. Uh -huh. Can you think back to that time when you first had to put in your own money? Uh, what was that like for you? I mean, was that exhilarating? Was that, did you feel fear in that moment? What was that like when you had a lot hanging in the balance and you were putting in your own money? It, the money part wasn't as like, you know, at the end of the day, we put in like $10,000 to achieve well over you know, multiple billions of success, right? So it was a 10,000, which someone would look like and say, oh, well, that's like, that's not a big deal. $10,000, obviously, you know, 22 years ago was different. And $10,000 relative to what you have in your bank account, which is $10,000 is all your money. So it's, it's, it is, it is a big, big deal. But the bigger question was, you see your friends that you've gone to school with who are all going off to these high paying jobs from the program that you've launched to, they're getting their own apartment or condos and they're going to be having this like life after university. And you're like, uh, my partying stops. I'm moving back in with my parents. It's going to be very, very lonely. There's no guarantees. There's no one says that that entrepreneur finally will success. Like there's no, if someone knew is going to be successful after five years, they'd be like, okay, I'll, I'll endure this. But there's just, there's just no guarantees. Your concept or your idea will ever necessarily work. So my, my fear was at the time, wasn't necessarily the money. It was just the whole, uh, not lack of a better word, lifestyle or the way things were going to be for the next period of time that indefinitely until I could, you know, not either not withstand it anymore or have a breakthrough. That to me was more of a mental challenge than any type of financial means of it. I felt like, hey, if I really needed to apply my knowledge of uh, or my school knowledge and get a job, I probably could. I didn't have kids, obviously, at the time. I wasn't married. It wasn't like I had huge uh, costs to start over. But the lifestyle saying, am I wasting some of my more formidable years on something that just never was going to materialize? That was a bigger deal to me. So you have two daughters. We, we talked when we were in person. I've got two kids. So you are non-traditional in your entrepreneurial journey. I think we, we've come to that conclusion here in conversation with you today, Brad. Uh, talk a little bit about if your daughters grow up and they want to be entrepreneurs themselves, mm -hmm. I would imagine it's kind of hard to teach your path because I get the sense you're, you, you're, you're a gut guy. You go by gut, by instinct, right? And you're mm -hmm. willing to push yourself. It's almost like when you're working out, you're willing to push yourself that extra 10%, mm -hmm. even though it's going to burn, right? So mm -hmm. what kind of advice from someone who's not traditional in their approach would you give your, your, your children if they want to go down a similar path? So first and foremost, what my children, I would like to think see is 
I will never be outworked. People will work the same as me, but I will never be outworked. So if you are committed to your craft, whatever that is, and you're going to work full tilt, uh, and then you have that as a base. So your work ethic has to be, be there. When they see me up on stage, but they see me eating no sugar products, they know there's a significant difference between what I'm willing to do as an entrepreneur that is so vastly different and the risks that I'm willing to take. Like they're perceptive. They're going to see, you know, why is dad in a silver suit on vanilla with vanilla ice on stage in front of 500 people? <laughs> That's not the boardroom that I've seen him in when he's coming home from meetings with a briefcase. So they're clearly seeing that I'm willing to do things outside the box and perceive uh, and, and, and take risks on. And the one thing that I encourage them to do is even at the age of them, like, you know, get outside and sell lemonade uh, on a lemonade stand, get outside. They've sold no sugar products uh, in front of our stands. And if someone's going to come by and offer them more than that, they're uh, more than that. Like they put it out for 50 cents. I tell them to say, no, I say, no, don't, don't, don't give me because I'm an eight year old to 20 bucks. Like literally, I want the 50 cents because I wanted them to know what the value of money is and that that product that they're selling has a, really a 50 cent value and they need to accept that. So they fight me tooth and nail. They're like, daddy, like I can go buy something with 20 bucks. I'm like, you can't like that's not that's not the purpose of what you're trying to do here. That's not what I'm trying to set up. And that's, you know, that's hard to do because you want to give your children everything. But at the end of the day, I think those three things of work ethic, thinking outside the box, uh, understanding what value actually is are three key lessons that are, you know, untraditional, but certainly um, needed. Let's talk a little bit about Jack. I want uh, the listeners to know who Jack uh, was in your life because this started early. This does yes. not start just a few years ago yeah. um, while you're on a treadmill, right? I mean, this no. was ingrained in you. So so share with us the story of Jack um, because if if it's like our last conversation, it'll come out just in the way you even talk about him. Yeah. So Jack was my grandfather. Um, I was not allowed to call him my grandfather. He always just wanted to be known as Jack. He was a, he, he played professional hockey for the Boston Bruins. He then, uh, he, you know, hurt his knee and his back couldn't figure it out by any type of medic, uh, medical, uh, uh, specialist or expert. So he took on the, he got his doctorate degree and fixed himself. And then he went to compete in the Empire Games, which essentially was the equivalent of the Olympics. And he won uh, a rowing medal. And then he became one of the top heart surgeons. I'm fast forwarding the conversation pretty quickly, but he became one of the top heart surgeons in North America. So he was very inspirational, just what he could, and this guy's five, seven, and was like, not this, you know, powerful, you know, huge sculptures, six foot 10 guy, whatever. He was just an average guy that just had a belief that he could do whatever he wanted to do. And he reached the pinnacles in each of the things he challenged. These are the things he tried to do. And so I had a lot of conversations with him when I was younger. We'd go on like canoe trips or we, you know, he'd fish and I would just be able to pick his brain. And he just basically said to me, Brad, if you have a mind and you have a heart, you have the two things that every human being has. The rest of it is what you make of it. And I've always instilled that philosophy all to this day that there there's never anybody on TV. There's anybody else's success that I don't feel is unattainable. I might be delusional on that, but I don't ever feel like that is something that is not within my realm. If I put those three things I mentioned earlier uh, to work. And he gave me a lot of that belief. Now, obviously he's, you know, he, he passed on, you know, 15 years ago, but the things that he valued the most was persistency. Like you need to be persistent in what your goals are and you need to be persistent in your pursuit of what you're trying to achieve. And if you do not uh, commit to what you're trying to achieve, uh, you will never get it. And he used to have a saying is that, you know, 
in Hollywood, you got to be either awfully smart or awfully dumb, awfully pretty or awfully ugly. There's four, the spectrum. And he was saying this, you know, back in the eighties and he, you know, to a certain extent, you got to, what he's trying to say is that you're, you're either on the extremes of both ends. And his view for persistency was that you needed to be on the extreme end of being persistent. And even if sometimes you're going to rub people the wrong way, you certainly need to have that characteristic to separate yourself. So I applied that when I first started my business. I think I mentioned to you, you know, three years of getting nowhere and, and just really questioning everything about me, you know, I presented to the general nutrition buyer, GNC, obviously, as people know it, it uh, 16 straight times in different environments with no's. No, the product is not coming in. And on the 17th attempt, I showed up at 5 a.m. knowing that the buyer got in there early to work, scared the crap out of her. But she agreed from that persistency that this guy person's either nuts or he has a really something that I need to take a look at. And she gave me five minutes and that five minutes turned into, you know, now what I have today, you know, two, two on the, you know, billion dollar companies like that, that, that is what started this. And I go back to a lot as I give my grandfather a lot of credit for having that, you know, be persistent. 16th try is not enough. Go for 17th. <laughs> That's a, that, that is an incredible story. All right. So let's, let's do this. Let's talk particulars with regards to uh joy burst. So what are the targets? What are the goals? I know that you're now launching in all, num on, you know, any number of uh, retailers here in the United States. So give us some of the breakdown, the box score. So it's positioning is a better for you. Uh, it's natural energy. It's, is it's positioning. We wanted to take that. We felt that there's an open space. We've launched in Costco across the U S we've launched in Walmart's across the U S and now just basically with the success that's already happened in those key accounts and the amount of people that Walmart and Costco touch, we're getting calls from retailers all over the place to figure out how we can bring that in. As well as, you know, I heard this song on the radio or I heard this song on Spotify, like, what is this about? And they see the video. And so it's it's done exactly what I had hoped and intended it could do. And it's continuing to get bigger and bigger and bigger, which is really exciting. So that's what Joyverse is. I literally, like half an hour before I got onto this call, we got a, a, an email directly to me saying, Brad, it's Steve from Costco uh, UK, the United Kingdom. I'm seeing everything that's happening in North America. When can we get ours? And I was just like, this thing's worldwide. Like this, a song has the ability to be worldwide. It doesn't just stick to Canada or the US. And so it's just really, really exciting. And I do believe that we'll be sitting here in a year from now and we'll be on the map as one of the leaders in terms of challenging the two top brands of that you know, energy space. It's amazing. Uh, it, and it just provides such fantastic color to your background and just all that you've been describing. Where should people go to learn more about Joy Burst? So it's at just joyburst.com. That's obviously the website, but more importantly, you should go check it out on Spotify and you should see this song that we put together. And I'd love to get your listeners opinion on it. It's a great catchy song. Um, it keeps growing, but it does. It certainly puts a smile on your face. Yeah, I can attribute to that. I, I, I will be honest. I was singing that tune a few times <laughs> when, I, when I got back. <laughs> And also for people, I spent time with Vanilla Ice, Rob, who is an incredible human. You can see how you guys really connect. Let's just close with this. Talk a little bit about that union, because I get the sense that you're going to be friends for a long time with him, that that you got to see a side of him that maybe the public doesn't. He's just a really down to earth, hardworking guy, to your point. 
So he sent me a text that I hope if he's listening, he doesn't mind, but he sent me a text a day after the event. And he said, Brad, whatever happens with us business-wise, you have a friend for life in me, you know? And that's, that's, you know, I take that as, you know, a really sign that we, we connected. I mean, he did not become Vanilla Ice as a world, like no one really in the world doesn't know the name Vanilla Ice, right? The song Ice Ace, Ice Ace is an anthem, but it's no secret that, his work ethic as a 17-year-old ahead of its time is what created that. So a lot of the same things that I, that I believe I pride myself on, he prides himself on. So when we met for the first time, kind of just feeling each other out whether or not this partnership would work, for the, you know, fast forward these last rounds, we have very similar views on life and work ethics and disciplines that are just in different fields, but we've been excited. He's interested in business. I'm obviously interested in the artistic format. And I think you're right. I think we'll be friends for well beyond, you know, any type of business relationship. He's a great guy. He deserves everything he has. You saw him, he's down to earth. He doesn't come in with a huge, you know, entourage and he's got a hundred concerts. He's next year. I mean, he's in his, in his own right. He, he can hold his own with anybody. Yeah, no, he he was incredibly gracious. And that was one thing I noticed too, just even at the event, just the way in which both of you engaged with people, uh, spoke to the men that I got some time to spend uh, there in, in Toronto with. So continued success, Brad. I hope this is the first of sort of yearly conversations because you're going to have fantastic updates. Going to be looking forward to that new song coming out in addition mm -hmm. to the one we, you just released. Yeah. Uh, keep up the great work and I look forward to seeing you in the future. Thanks, Brad. All right. Amazing. Thank you very much. Take care. Thanks for taking the plunge into Headroom, where we uncover the why behind the what and who impacting our lives. Headroom is a production of Rainlight and co-produced by our friends at Old Soul. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger, and this is Headroom.